Luke chapter 6. So, do you have any enemies? Eh? Has anyone ever slandered you? Has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever betrayed you? Has anyone ever criticized you or criticized your work or criticized your ministry? Since planting a church, I have been shouted at more times than I care to remember. Um, probably more times than, than the previous sort of much larger chunk of life. What, is, what does the word enemy mean? Do you want to know what the word enemy means? Daniel does. Anybody else? Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad you asked because it's Latin time. You like a bit of Latin, don't you? It's been a few weeks. In Latin, the word is inimicus. That's where we get the word enemy from. In means not, or anti, or negative. In, at the start of a word in Latin, means not. Imicus, uh, from that we would get amiable, or in French, you know, ami. Isn't it ami in French for friend? Inimicus means not friend. So that's what the word enemy literally means. Don't just think about somebody appearing at your door with a weapon uh, or somebody from the other side of the world. Uh, this is not friend. This is people who are opposed to you. People who are hostile to you. People who get in your face and make life difficult for you. Uh, one way that I think that we can define maybe what an enemy is for us is anybody who is taking up too much real estate in your mind. In other words, you're thinking about this person a lot. You're turning things over again and again and again. This person has moved in and started to build a property in your mind and occupying an unhealthy amount of time. The original readers of, of Luke's Gospel we will get to chapter 6 soon enough. The original readers had enemies. Their enemies were the Romans, who had occupied for about 70 years. Their enemies were pagans who worshipped other gods. We don't have any sort of Romans to act as our enemies. But what about those who just seem to make life miserable? Eh? Those who maybe make the working day miserable those who make school miserable for young people um, what about those who are of a different theological persuasion regarding the word of god and have decided to get militant about it and become opposed to their brothers and sisters instead of having the ability to, to disagree with a little bit of grace do we have any enemies People who, as soon as they find out that you follow Jesus, they just get their back up against you because they assume things about you that maybe aren't true because they have a sort of a narrow view of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Dallas Willard said cheerfully, few of us manage to go through life without collecting a group of individuals who would not be sorry to learn we have died. <laughs> Most of, it, most of us, as we go through the journey, there are a few people who, who fall into that category who would, who would maybe have a wee grin and a smile if they heard something awful that happened to us. Dallas is not the only one to realize that. Paul the Apostle writes in Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus said, if the head of the house, that's him, 
is called Beelzebul. That's a name for Satan. If the head of the house is called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? I've been called demonic. (laughs) Okay, this does happen. I've been called demonic. So you will get all sorts of hostility. You will always have opponents. You will always have critics. You will always have people who just want you to fail and want you to fall and enjoy it when you do so. And it grieves me that I have enemies. It genuinely grieves me. I don't want to have enemies. I don't want to have people snub me when I see them in the street. I don't like that. I don't like it. It upsets me. It grieves me. But it is a reality. What are we to do with these people? Well, Jesus says, love them. (coughs) If you thought last week was tough, uh, this week it gets tougher. Preach through Luke, they said. It'll be fun, they said. <laughs> you know, Nobody preaches through Luke because this way lies madness. Love your enemies. Oh, Jesus, really? really? Love them? I could ignore them. I could avoid them. Jesus says, love them. In the Old Testament, we, we read about loving God. And we, we that's... Grant, no bother. We read about loving neighbors, and the Jewish people would have said, that's fine because my neighbors are Jews. And then they might have engaged in debate, and we see Jesus dipping into the debate about who is my neighbor. But just to end the debate and finish the discussion, he says, love your enemies in Luke six twenty-seven. So right now, Think about the person who has treated you unfairly, unjustly. I was going to get a a bit of paper and a pen and you could write them down for yourself. But sometimes it can take a surprisingly long time. If you write a list of people who have hurt you or even longer list is usually people that you need to forgive. The people who have treated us unfairly caused us pain. Behaved in ways that are unjust. What do we do as a follower of Jesus? He says in Luke 6, 27, love your enemies. There's no way around it. There's no somersaults we can do with the original Greek language to get out of it. Love your enemies. So, do you want to know what love is? Have you heard this song? Anyone over the age of 35? You're going to have this song in your head all afternoon now. I'm sorry. Do you want me to show you? <laughs> um, it's more than a feeling. I'm on fire here. Like, um, Even that is actually a song by Bear's Den, for those of you that are cultured enough to listen to a wee folky band from London called Bear's Den. Agape is the Greek word for love. It is more than a feeling. It is a verb. It is a choice. I can tell you, And you probably already know you are unlikely to feel love for the people who have hurt you. It is not going to rise and overflow within you. We're not talking about Hollywood love or pop music love. We're talking about a choice. And you either decide, I am going to love that person or I'm not. You're not going to feel love for the person who has slandered you and dragged your name through the dirt. You're not going to feel it. 
It is a choice, a verb. It is not drawn out of us because there's anything that we see lovely about the person. It is a choice that we, we, we allow it to proceed from us, even though it seems counterintuitive. What does this love look like? Let's read on in Luke 6. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, really, Jesus? That's really hard. Do good to those who hate you. It's here. It says it in this book. There was one day in a cave where a guy called David, not me, happened to be in the cave and a guy called Saul came in to use the bathroom in the cave. And when Saul was there, David and his men, it's one of those hilarious moments in your Bible. You have to picture it just to get it. David and his men are hiding in the cave. Saul is running around the hills like a mad thing, trying to find David so he can kill him. And he needs to go to the loo. And he goes into the cave that David is in. And he can just pick, it's hilarious. David and his guys are hiding behind a rock. And there's Saul thinking he's in private going to the loo. And he's not. And David's men say to him, this is your chance. God's done this. Kill him. And they, Saul hated David. Hated him, had thrown spears at him, and was hunting him through the mountains. And David says, no. You will find sometimes in life that you have the ability, the power, the opportunity comes to you to do evil towards those who hate you. Circumstances will fall into place and you'll just have an opportunity. I could get my own back here. This person mistreated me. This person hurt me. Now there's a wee power play for me. There's a wee opportunity for me to actually get a tasty little bit of revenge. Jesus says, no. David didn't do it. Two chapters later, the the opportunity presented itself again for David. He snuck into Saul's camp and Saul was sleeping. And and one of his guys said, I'm just going to put a spear through him and pin him to the ground. And David said, no, no. Do good to those who hate you. When the opportunity presents itself for you to get one over on a person who has put you down, Jesus says, no. No one said it would be easy, okay, following this Jesus. Tom Wright says, think of the people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and lavish generosity on them instead. Hmm. <laughs> What else does it look like? Bless those who curse you, who use their mouths to put you down. When someone speaks negatively to you or about you, how do you respond? Do you speak the same way about them? I try to, to exercise a simple little rule in my own life. Would I speak about that person in that way if they were sitting beside me? Or do I curse them when they're not around because they cursed me? That's a challenge. That is a real challenge. And if you've been around a while, you'll know some that are not a million miles away have spoken quite negatively about us. I will not respond in kind. I won't do it. I refuse to do it. Because Jesus says, bless those who curse you. 
Ever had a conversation when somebody is really putting you down big time? And five minutes later, you suddenly start thinking of all the things that you should have said. Have you experienced that? And you're like, ah, if only I'd said this, it would have put him in his box. If only I'd said that, why does my stupid mind not think of these things when I'm in the conversation? Why do I think of them the next morning or during the night afterwards? Do you know what? I think that could be the Holy Spirit stopping you from thinking them. So that you don't snap back. So that you don't curse those who are cursing you. That you sometimes just keep your mouth shut if necessary. Dallas Willard has this brilliant story that he tells. I don't know if he tells it or if somebody told it about him. But he was in a lecture with a group of students. So this guy was a Christian philosopher. Brilliant man. He passed away a couple of years ago. And um, do you know what? I think Jesus... (laughs) This is totally theologically wrong, but I just think Jesus loved the fact that Dallas had come into his presence. This man loved Jesus. Like. And, uh, and Dallas Willard tells of a time when, when a student in a lecture had a go at him, disagreed with him quite publicly and put him down. And then after the lecture in the break or whatever, some of the other students came to him and said, you could have absolutely nailed him. Why didn't you do it? And Dallas said, I was practicing the spiritual discipline of not having to have the last word. Can you do that? Can you allow someone to shoot their mouth off and just let it go without having to put them in their box? Bless those who curse you. Yeah? Is it, is it easy this morning following Jesus? Um, pray for those who mistreat you. This is one of the most awesome pieces of life wisdom that you could ever get. One of the greatest ways to disarm the enemy from getting a hold in your heart with bitterness and unforgiveness is to pray for those who have mistreated you. Not pray for them to get hit by a truck, okay? (laughs) Or for some awful thing to happen to them, but to pray and I can tell you this from, from experience repeatedly to, to literally just say, God, bless those people. Bless their family. Bless their health. Bless their finances. Bless their business. Lord, bless them. Show them your goodness and your glory and your character. I've tried to, to influence. I just remember, can't remember which, which one of my beloved I was walking the dogs with a week or two ago, but we're just talking about somebody who was causing a wee bit of grief. And that's what I said. I said, let's just pray. Let's just pray now as we walk down the hill in the dark. Let's just pray that God will bless that person. Because do you know what? It just takes it away, folks. It's amazing. It takes it away. And don't do it through gritted teeth. Oh, God bless such and such. Amen. Lavish on them. Give them a few minutes of your prayer time and lavish on them. Say, God, just bless them real good. Show them how good you are. Transform them. Yeah. It really is a liberating thing. Jesus said it. There's no way around it, okay? It's here. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless them. So there's four things that came there. We're to love, we're to do good, we're to bless, we're to pray. And then Jesus brings in some sort of concrete illustrations. These are mad. Listen to these. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Oh, and here there's a dilemma, and here there's a debate. What do we do with this? Is this all to be taken literally? I think there's a yes and no answer to that. I think there's a level of complexity that we need to say, God, give us wisdom. We have a friend called John, known as Big John. Big John asks lots of questions in a Bible study. And his questions usually begin with, what if? And he will keep on going for a long, long time, creating different scenarios that are more and more awkward for you to actually apply something to. And in a way, it's funny. In a way, it's annoying. But in a way, it really authentically shows how complex life can be. What if? What if we go outside and a Christian is being slapped on the cheek repeatedly, violently by someone? Do we just stand by and say, go you, (laughs) you know, take it. Do we pull the person off them? Do we intervene? If someone's being violent towards a friend or a child, do we just stand there and say, keep turning the other cheek? Come on. We've got to have wisdom here. We've got to try and get to the heart of of what Jesus means when he says this. I, you know, some rare things have happened here over the years, usually on a Friday night. But you know, I have seen a man pinned to a wall out there by a Christian. And I'm so glad the Christian pinned him to the wall because he came in drunk and angry and he was going to batter all around him. Are we defying Jesus by doing that, by preventing violence? I don't think we are. I, one night we were here and a guy came in and again he was stocious drunk. He started shoving Pavlova into him at a dangerous speed. And I thought, you're just taking advantage of us and you're going to be sick and you're going to ruin everything. And I, I, I removed him from the premises and I told him not to come back that night. And you know what? My relationship with him has been better ever since. There's a different level of respect. Was I wrong not to give? Give to everyone who asks you. I want Pavlova and cheesecake. No, get out. There's wisdom, okay? There's a complexity here. Do you give something to somebody that they're going to use to harm themselves? No, you don't. There's a complexity. We need wisdom. Jesus, I believe, is using something that we refer to as hyperbole or exaggeration or using extreme language to make a really important point. And the way that you know that is, does the strict, literal application of what he's saying lead to something that is absurd? When Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Have you seen anybody do that? Or would you expect them to? If you found a young Christian trying to obey that with an axe, would you stop them from doing it? Yes, you probably would. When Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, poke it out. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. I wouldn't recommend it. I think Jesus is making an extreme point about how hateful sin is, how much we are to hate it and fight against it. I don't think he wants us to cut off our hands or poke out our eyes. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek when someone slaps you, I believe what he means is that this is a posture of the heart. You keep on loving, no matter how many times you get kicked in the teeth. You keep on on loving. It doesn't mean you stand up again and smile and say, please hit me again. Jesus told me that that's that's what has to happen. 
It's an attitude of the heart. I will not stop loving no matter how many times you kick me in the teeth. I will not stop loving. It's not that we ask to be repeatedly beaten. Paul himself in Acts several times is in physical danger and he leaves. The rest of the church send him away. They say, Paul, you've just had a hiding. You're going to get another one tomorrow. Get out of here. They take action to prevent being on the receiving end of physical violence. Jesus himself, a couple of chapters ago in Luke, walks through a crowd. I don't know exactly what happened there. They were about to put him off a cliff or stone him. Both probably because when, you know, usually when they're stoning somebody, they would first of all throw them off a cliff down to the ground and then chuck the stones down. But Jesus walked through the crowd. I don't know if something supernatural happened or if he just pushed his way through and got to safety or whether the disciples helped him. I don't know. But I know this, he didn't just take it. (laughs) He didn't just say, oh, physical violence, come on. All right? I believe this is about a posture of the heart. Should we stand and watch if someone is being treated violently? No, I don't think we should. Should we leave our front doors wide open so any thief driving past can come in and take whatever he wants? No, I don't think we should. This is not a call for stupidity. It is a call for a heart posture towards those who are opposed to us. Someone slaps you on the cheek. Turn the other also. The disciples were repeatedly beaten in the book of Acts and they did not stop showing love. It did not put them off. It did not cause them to say, we're done with you, we're done with this whole love thing. They continued to share the good news of the kingdom in love despite receiving physical violence. And I would caution, especially with this one, If anyone is listening, hopefully not here, but just in case anyone would ever pick this up, if you're in a relationship with a physically violent person, don't go back to them, okay? Don't go back to them and say, hit me again. Jesus said so. I do not believe that's what he meant. It is a posture of the heart. I'm going to love you and love you and love you. And you can reject it and you can curse me and you can slander me. But I am going to love you because I follow Jesus. When Jesus was hit during his his beating, he did not ask them to hit him again, but he loved them enough to forgive them. And an interesting point is you can only be struck on the cheek Like right now, Wayne cannot strike me on the cheek because right now, Wayne is too far away. (laughs) There's a simple little point here. You have to get close enough to people. If we have a fortress mentality where we live in a little Christian holy cave and never engage with the world, this will never happen. We'll never get opportunities to show this love in the face of rejection. Taking your coat, this is what the Roman soldier might have done. Took your coat from you to, to keep him warm. Matthew talks also about going the extra mile, showing love, a willingness to give more, a generosity towards those who are hostile towards us. Instead of being stingy and tight, we are generous. We're showing the love of God to people. Giving, give to everyone who asks you and anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Compassion. Have you ever seen your enemy in need how powerful it is to meet that need, to bless that person, to help them, to provide for them. This is the way of Jesus. 
The rabbis had a, a saying <clears throat> at the time, whatever is hateful to you, don't do that to your neighbor. That's a negative thing. If you would not like it done to you, then don't do it. That's what they said. Jesus came and made it a positive thing. And he says, no, go and do. Go and positively, actively, love as a verb, love as a choice. Go and do to others what you would like to have done to you. It's a good thing to think and hold in your mind in work, in difficult scenarios. Think when you've got the opportunity to curse someone, to put them down, to drag their name through the mud. Stop and think, what would I want done to me? And let that guide how you act. And Jesus goes on to say in in verses 32 to 34, he starts by saying, if you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Sinners do that. Sinners love people who love them. We're called here to a higher standard, an extraordinary level of love that causes the world to just stop and say, hang on, that is out of the ordinary. That love is not what we, refer, what we think of as love. That's extraordinary love. There's no reason for that person to love that other person, but they've chosen to do it. This guy here is E. Stanley Jones, a Methodist, I believe, and a missionary and a genius. And he said, when we return evil for good, that's the lowest form of living. If somebody's good to us and we are evil to them, he said, that's demonic. That's the lowest form of living. He said, if we return good for good and evil for evil, that is legalistic. The other man's conduct determines yours. In other words, how you've been treated, if you live like this, how you've been treated dictates how you treat other people. You have no moral standard of your own. You are an echo. Just hold that. If you hold nothing else, don't be an echo. Do not just respond to people in the way that they have treated you. Don't just be good to those who are good to you. Don't just love those who love you and then be evil towards those who have been evil towards you. You're just living as an echo. You have no, I think these are powerful words. You've no moral standard of your own. The other person's conduct is dictating your conduct. That is no way to live. The Jesus way is to return good even when evil has been done to us. Why should we do this? What's the motivation? It's a nice thought, but what's the motivation? Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, love your enemies, he repeats it, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back, then your reward will be great. God will reward those who choose to faithfully follow Jesus in this way. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Why should we do this? Because that's what God is like. And the world needs to see what God is like. That's why we do it. We will be his children. Children reflect their parents. (laughs) That hopefully (laughs) is a good thing. Children reflect their parents and the children of God are supposed to reflect the character of God. That's what God is like. That's what I should be like. And if I justify being nasty towards people who have been nasty towards me, I am 
not showing forth the character of God. And it sticks out. People notice it when we live like this. They notice it. And it also means, just to to finish out the set of verses that we're in today, 37, 38, it means you're slow to judge people. You're slow to... I I think what Jesus means here about judging, I don't think he means that that we, we fail to be able to discern right or wrong to make judgments on things. I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is when we make a permanent judgment, that person is such and such and will always be such and such. And they cannot ever change. And this is what they did to me and therefore that's what they are and that's who they are. I have judged them. I think that's what he means. Don't judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive. And you'll be forgiven. Here's another thing to do for your enemies. Because when you don't forgive, the only person you're hurting is yourself. It has been wisely said, I don't know who it was, but whenever you hold on forgiveness, you are pouring a glass of poison for the other person and then drinking it yourself. Unforgiveness only hurts you. The person that you are refusing to forgive is blissfully unaware of the fact that you're refusing to forgive them, probably. But you're carrying bitterness in your heart. Let it go. Forgive them. Pray for them. And just see how that, it's like, it's like lancing a, a, a boil or a blister. Just see how that releases the pressure and the pain and all the ugly stuff just comes out and gets out of there and healing can actually take place. Forgiving Linda and I were just chatting about this yesterday. To forgive someone does not mean it was okay. We've talked about that before, but I just want to clarify it with you. To forgive someone who has wronged you does not mean you're saying that what they did was all right or that it didn't matter or that they should not face consequences. It just means you've released it and you've released them. And you may cry out as we draw to a close, you may, you may cry out, what about, what about justice in all of this? Someone's wronged me. There needs to be justice. Folks, if we believe Jesus, if we believe the word of God, judgment and justice is up to God in his timing and he will do it. Do you believe that? He will do it. You don't have to. And he'll do it better than you ever could anyway. Do not repay evil for evil. This is Paul writing in Romans 12. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You won't be able to to have reconciled perfect relationships with everyone. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, because by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That's really powerful. Don't overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Leave it with God. He will do justice. Did they strike Jesus on the face? Did he get hit on the cheek? Did he have his clothes taken from him? And did he forgive? Did he forgive them and did he forgive us? He was the true embodiment of a child of God. 
the Son of God, God made flesh. And Paul writes that because God loved us, he demonstrates his love because when we were still sinners, he died for us. When we were enemies, we received that love. Think about the way we sometimes treat our enemies and then just think, if God treated me like that, eh? where would I be? I want to read a quote by Martin Luther King. I know there's been a lot come at you this morning. It's a witty passage, and I wanted to try and do it justice. But listen to Martin Luther King. To our most bitter opponents, so if you don't know who Martin Luther King is, black civil rights leader and Baptist preacher and prophet in America, standing up against white supremacy and the Ku Klux Klan and the mistreatment of black people as being somehow second-class citizens. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws. Loving your enemy does not mean you have to do what your enemy says when it is contrary to the word of God. Because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Listen to this. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. That man was an incredible man. That man was assassinated because sometimes the world just can't deal with that sort of love. Rest assured, we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we shall win you in the process. (laughs) We're going to keep loving you. And we're going to win you and our victory will be a double victory. When Jesus calls us to love our enemies, Daryl Bach says, I have a hard time seeing that love in the way we communicate with those who possess different values from our own. Your enemy might not have a gun, but your enemy might be someone with a different view on gender to your view. A different view on sexuality to the biblical view. How will you treat that person? Without compromising your own belief, How will you treat that person? Will you love them? I choose occasionally to do business with a man who I know is openly gay. I could take my business elsewhere. I not only choose to do business with him, but I pay more than he asks every time. I chat with him, ask him how he is and how he's doing. He knows who I am. And no matter what happens, how he encounters God, what conversations he might end up with friends having about, about Christians or whatever, he will have to say there's at least one person who comes into my business who is a Christian who shows me love, who is generous to me. How do we treat those who are opposed to us in their viewpoints? And you might say this cannot be done and you might say, I don't want to do this. You will remain a spiritual dwarf <laughs> 
if you will not do this. This is about following Jesus. And I don't want, I want to grow big oak trees in this garden. Okay, not little daisies. Big oak trees of righteousness. Let's pray as Aaron comes.